Welcome to the Women's Wellbeing Academy podcast, brought to you by the University of New South Wales, Sydney. This series explores the impact of COVID-19 on various aspects of women's health and wellbeing. So my name is Bill Ledger, and I'm the Professor of Obstetrics and Gynaecology at University of New South Wales. And it's my pleasure to introduce to this podcast, Professor Karen Anstey. Karen is the Scientia Professor of Psychology and the Director of the University of New South Wales Aging Futures Institute. Karen's work takes a life course approach to aging well, and she has a particular interest in cognitive aging. And with colleagues, Karen has identified what we can do to optimize cognitive function and how we can reduce our risks of dementia. She is the principal investigator on the Path Through Life project, which is an Australian population-based study of young, middle-aged and older adults who've been followed for 20 years to explore factors influencing mental health and cognitive health. The study has provided many insights into aging in Australia and the factors that impact well-being. Karen also conducts interventions to reduce the risk of cognitive decline and has an interest in older driver safety. And hence, I think she's very well qualified to address the questions in today's podcast, which are the influence of COVID virus on aging. So, Karen, firstly, let me ask you an introductory question, which really is, what are some of the ways that aging women as a group are impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic? And how are are we reacting to these changes as a society? Right. Well, first of all, I'd just like to comment that the situation we're in at the moment is changing all the time and it's very dynamic. So what we might say today may not apply equally tomorrow. But um, And the other the general point is that older adults and older women are a very diverse group. So whilst I'll be making some generalisations in talking with you, I just wanted to point out that there's a huge difference between, say, women in their 60s, women in their 80s and women in their 90s. And in addition to the differences at different ages in human development and health and physiology, we also all have different family structures, relationships, gender identity, education, health status. So we're really talking about a very diverse group when we, we refer to older women. Um, but there are some generalisations that we can just make on statistical data. So, for example, demographically, we know that women live on average about four years longer than men. So when we're looking at COVID-19 as a virus affecting older adults, uh, we have more women um, in the population in those age groups who will be affected by the virus. We also know that older women are much more likely to be carers than older men. So women will be amongst the key carers, the first responders, the aged care staff, and they also are in many frontline roles in society dealing with the situation at the moment as cleaners, shop assistants, doctors, nurses and in law enforcement. So ageing women and older women are very much engaged and affected by our current situation. But a particular interest of mine is of course dementia and women are much more likely to care for someone with dementia than men. So about 60% of dementia carers are women women are much more likely to give up full-time work and to take on a carer role so to switch to part-time work and they're more likely to give up working altogether to care for someone and so informal care in Australia in particular the area of dementia is largely provided by women and it's really an essential backbone of our care provision for our aging population so when we're looking at care and we're looking at this older demographic we mustn't forget that it's women who are who are really critical to that 
there's also a group of women who have a dual carer role, and that's that they're caring for children at home plus older parents. And often they have careers as well. And so these women are particularly stressed um, in times when there's additional care needs, for example, at the moment where a lot of women are homeschooling um, or at least supervising children at home whilst trying to manage their other care needs and their career. And one interesting um, piece of information I saw on Twitter, and I haven't seen the actual journal article, but it said that during the pandemic in academia, men have been submitting more journal articles and women less. And I think if there's any truth in that, it may be that women are probably taking on more of the, the responsibility for children home. We also know that women are more likely to live with a disability. So when we look at the ageing population at, at the demographics, what we often talk about is the disability-free life expectancy. So we're, we're interested in not just how many years people live, but how many healthy years people live. And whilst women live longer than men on average, they actually have a longer period at the end of life when they live with a disability, particularly a severe disability. So that is, is quite a, a distinction and that would be compounded at the moment with all the changes that we as a society are dealing with in terms of accessing transport, accessing our groceries, doing our shopping, seeing our GP. So anyone with an existing disability and who's already perhaps socially isolated due to that will be experiencing the changes that we are going through at the moment you know, to a greater extent and that could compound their existing situation. I think older women are also particularly affected in the current COVID-19 pandemic with the new emphasis on online technology. So whilst we know there's a lot of older people out there who are incredibly technology savvy and you know, emailing using the internet, just as any younger person would, there is a segment of the older population who do not use the internet. They don't access information that way. They're not comfortable with socialising online. or They may not have a mobile phone or a computer in their house. And so this group are particularly affected through just lacking the means at the moment to obtain information or to do their online shopping or whatever. And that's a very real need that we have for dealing with that, for finding ways to connect with people who are not online. And Karen, going on really from, from your comments, um, maybe explore rather more the groups of ageing women who you'd say were most vulnerable at this time of social distancing. Okay, so I think there's a number of groups who are vulnerable at the moment, and it really would depend on which aspect of the situation. So I'll just, just sort of discuss a few of them. Um, clearly, we know that those with existing chronic conditions are at increased risk, and so they're more medically vulnerable to the virus. So if you combine being quite old with an existing medical condition, that put, makes you vulnerable. On the other hand, we've seen there's been a reduction in use of health services for managing chronic disease. And so... People are not managing, perhaps not visiting their GP for those reasons I've already mentioned. There may be fear of attending hospital or clinics or a lack of access to transport. So we do have a vulnerable group of older women who have chronic conditions. But there's other people who are vulnerable for reasons other than their health. There's women who are socially isolated or who do not speak English or have disabilities. There's women who are Indigenous or from other minority groups that may not be able to access the same levels of services or have, who have additional stresses that were pre-existing prior to this pandemic and to which the social distancing that we're being required to do is adding a burden um, off the physical distancing. There's a particular group of women living in residential aged care who I feel, as I said with my interest in dementia, these women are particularly vulnerable We've seen that the virus spreads rapidly in aged care and the mortality rates are high in care settings. But living with dementia in aged care 
in the current pandemic can become quite frightening when suddenly the people that care for you are wearing face masks, for example, and you don't understand why, and you don't have the familiar visitors, you don't have the familiar faces. The routine that you've gotten used to is all changed. You're not allowed to, to interact with your friends, the people that you live with and interact with every day without understanding why. So there's this group of older women with dementia who I think are really particularly vulnerable at the moment. And the lack of visits from friends, from sort of comfort from the visits that people living with dementia and residential aged care can have, that's also been denied them. So I think this is a particularly vulnerable group. They often have comorbid conditions as well. And just on that topic, something we don't like talking about as a society is palliative care and advanced care planning. So most people who go to residential care will die there. And with this pandemic, we're seeing deaths in residential aid care. And we need to have this conversation and, and discuss advanced care planning for this group. And it's, an, it's another vulnerable situation and group that needs to be addressed. And we've all seen some really heartrending footage on TV of, of elderly people in aged care homes that are... You know, not able to to see family and friends, children, grandchildren, and clearly, I, I guess that there's been an, a medical need to impose those rules. But I could not agree more. I think that this group of people have been particularly hard hit, and it must be hugely destabilising for someone who is in a mild or moderate stage of dementia not to have that familiar routine and all their their people that love them around them. Yeah, it is. It, it's, it can be heartbreaking to see what some of these people are going through. I think it's, but I do also think it's an incredibly difficult situation for the care provider. They're also being held accountable for how they're imposing the social distancing and the sanitising and everything. People are working out the rules as we go. And, and what seems to happen overseas is we've watched these large numbers of older people die in these residential aged care facilities is that the staff all become unwell and then it's difficult to replace those staff quickly with people who are well and then a the next batch of staff may become unwell. And there's, there's, there just isn't the resource to manage the situation if those appropriate practices and the resources haven't been put in place to begin with. So I think, you know, the government has made some more funding available for aged care and I can see that is going to enable these facilities to prepare so that if infection does occur, they can maintain their services. Mm, I know. And, and can you maybe explore more other things that in, individuals and care providers can do better in order to address the needs of these vulnerable groups of ageing women? Well, I think in residential aged care, there are some providers who have very good systems in place for video calls. I think one difficulty is when these things are introduced during a crisis. It's not a good time for someone with dementia to have to suddenly learn a new way of interacting that doesn't mean anything to them. If that way of interacting using video calls with partners, spouses, children has been well established prior to something like what's happening at the moment, then it will continue through. But I think it's often difficult because people with dementia have difficulty learning new practices and are more prone to things like delusions, paranoia, anxiety, stress, obviously have memory loss. It's often very difficult to implement those changes effectively, you know, all of a sudden when there's also a heightened sense of anxiety by the care staff. So yes, I think now getting the actual care providers developing those policies and practices, which I'm sure they are doing, is really important. I think, you know, we also need to have some more general conversations as a society about ageism and how we respect and treat older adults and older women. 
we know another area of vulnerability at the moment is financial hardship and homelessness that older women are much more likely to experience. And with this sudden loss of jobs in the industries where women are particularly represented in casual work and in human contact sort of jobs and care and restaurants and hospitality, etc., you know, we could have actually increased this problem that we were already facing of the older, older women having increased levels of homelessness. Karen, expanding on that, many people are now talking about the way life will have changed after the virus has passed through and been dealt with. Can you see any positives specifically for this group of people in terms of change for the better that might occur because of all of the changes we've had to make because of the virus? I think there's, I am going on a very negative track here, and there are all sorts of potential positive outcomes from the pandemic. I think it's kind of like any difficulty that a person faces. You, know, you can look back and see a lot of positive has come out of it, and I'm sure that's going to be the same. Um, well, I'm really hoping that, you know, with, with aged care in particular, we do have a Royal Commission that's ongoing, and these two things have coincided. Together, the Royal Commission and the increased risk of COVID-19 in aged care, which is largely populated by women, as much as two-thirds of people who live in aged care are women. So it, it may lead to more changes around resourcing of those facilities, regulation and the standards of care. So I think that that will be good. There's talk in the community about much more emphasis on you know, how we engage with each other as human beings about our social engagement, about communication, about relationships, about family, about home. All of these concepts and priorities and values are really getting onto the agenda. And I think that older women have a lot to contribute to those discussions and that the greater emphasis of society on those topics will, will be beneficial for older women. And that leads on really to my next sort of question to you, which is maybe to try and make more of the lifetime of experience that older women can bring to those discussions. They have experience in business, all of the different professions, obviously health, caring, and education, and all sciences and arts. And they have experience in providing the strength and support to family and friend networks. And do you think that there are more ways that we could use their experience to create new roles for older women during the pandemic and, and afterwards that can help society to improve and to navigate more efficiently? Look, I really hope so. I mean, I think it would be wonderful if we could have more women leading from their, their huge life experience. But, you know, we have some wonderful examples of women in leadership roles from prime ministers, chancellors, premiers, chief medical officers, as well as taking clinical leadership in treating patients. So I think there's fantastic role models out there, but there's also, I think, almost like a sage role here, you know, to help guide society. People who have lived through things like this in the past who may have lived through other wars or significant social and historical changes in other countries. Australia, we've fortunately not had, you know, many of us haven't lived through anything like this before. And I think there's a role for women to set up a debate and to show leadership in some of those discussions about how we as a society want to be and want to change after the pandemic and also to address some of the implicit ageism that is frightening that we're seeing particularly when the systems health systems have been stretched to the limit overseas and we've seen some very worrying comments made about older people so i think having some older women in those public discourse and in those roles and discussions would be wonderful and we could learn a lot from them Yes, and can I ask you to discuss more about the policies that some countries are adopting of allowing younger people to abandon social distancing and basically resume normal life whilst asking those who are older to remain in isolation, perhaps for their own protection? 
do you feel that that's a fair way to move out of the pandemic? It, it does seem to be intrinsically ageist in, in, in at least some senses. Yeah, that's a really difficult one. I, I think there has been a lot of ageism that has come out in this pandemic. And there's also a lot of ignorance about who is vulnerable because age is a very simplistic way of looking at this. There's all sorts of people who are vulnerable for, all, for health reasons that are right across the life course. And by oversimplifying it, it can also create additional problems and put additional groups at risk. So there's some major problems with that approach just from that point of view. And then the sort of ethics and moral call that some of those countries or societies or individuals are making to prioritise a group in society over others. For me personally, I mean, this comes really down to personal views it's, at times, but I think that some of that's quite worrying. But I guess you do need to develop a social contract as a society around these sorts of issues. And, and you, there needs to be thorough debate and informed debate before those decisions are made. Yeah, I guess things might become a lot easier when an effective vaccine is developed, rather like us encouraging older people to go with the flu vaccine every year, particularly along with the other vulnerable groups. It may be that in a year's time that would, that will be the route that everyone can then share, do you think? Yeah, yeah, I mean, clearly that would be ideal. We're all hoping that's going to happen. And, and of course, it's sensible to advise for any vulnerable group to avoid risk. But yeah, the vaccine would be, the, at the moment, it's the holy grail that we're all looking for to get us out of this situation. And then, Karen, finally, is, is there one message that you'd like to leave in everyone's mind before we finish our podcast today? I guess the podcast is around older women and I I guess my message is to try for us to all become very self-aware about perhaps our own implicit ageism and to sort of reflect on our attitudes and make sure that we're all contributing to these discussions in a very positive way that, that values everybody equally. Professor Karadansky, thank you very much for your podcast. Thank you. information about this podcast, our guests and upcoming episodes, please visit the UNSW Equity, Diversity and Inclusion website.